Okay. Welcome to the Jewish Currents. Not a podcast, maybe just a conversation. We're still figuring it out. I'm Arielle Angel. I'm the editor-in-chief of Jewish Currents. I'm Nathan Goldman. I'm the managing editor of Jewish Currents. Uh, I'm Jacob Lemon. I'm the publisher of Jewish Currents. And we're also here with Rachel Stern, who is the photographer responsible for our most recent spring 2021 issue cover. Uh, Rachel is an artist and also a teacher. Um, and we're really, really glad to have her here with us today to, to talk a little bit about this image. Uh, Rachel, I just wanted to start by thanking you for, for entrusting us with this image um, in a context that was not the context that uh, you initially intended for it. So I was hoping you could tell us just a little bit about where it came from and, and what the process was like there. Yeah, of course. Well, um, I'm glad to be here to talk to you guys about it. It's um, a really good question because it's been such a fascinating process for me to watch the photograph change because it had a whole previous life before it became this um, this image in this context, which is very different. So I actually made the photograph in 2016, and it was part of an artist billboard project with an organization called 14 by 48 that grants public billboard projects to artists in New York City. So it was originally installed at 181st Street and Broadway, and it was part of a larger image that was like a fake perfume ad. So it was this giant 14-foot tall nose, and then there was like a cascade of hands spraying all different perfumes at this nose and this kind of like overwhelm of smell. And then it was installed above a fish market and a flower shop. So it kind of had this like additional smells of the neighborhood sort of wafting up. Um, and it's this a really funny process for me because, um, you know, I don't really think of my work as being overwhelmingly like shocking or controversial, but there are sometimes naked bodies or whatever expressions of gender that people aren't totally comfortable with. And because this image had to be presented publicly, it had to sort of make it through, um, the qualifications of what can be printed on a billboard. So there were actually like multiple versions of this idea of a perfume ad that wound up with this giant nose um, that passed the censors and was publicly displayed in the winter of 2016. That was really fun and exciting. Um, and the nose actually has also, it was part of a show in St. Louis by the same title where it was just a big print. It's been um, part of a Valentine zine that I made once. So it's had a few different uh, iterations um, and lives before it wound up where it is with you guys. Yeah. I mean, I saw it, um, my friend, Will Heinrich, who's a New York Times art critic, uh, sent me that image, no context, just like on Instagram. And I immediately stole it, uh, and like mocked up a cover for us without even really like knowing what, you know, what was going to be in the issue or what we were even talking about. I just was really attracted to the image and everybody flipped out on the Slack and was like, we have to do this, you know? Um, but it actually turned out to be really perfect for the issue because the issue is engaged with all of these ideas about um, tropes, about anti-Semitic tropes. And part of the argument that we make in, in the editorial that leads the issue uh, is that some of the idea of tropes or like some of the approach to anti-Semitism through um, the deployment of the idea of tropes is a little bit empty. Like what do these tropes actually mean? What is their actual content? Uh, did they have different content uh, when they originated in different contexts and different countries and different time periods than they do now? And so part of 
what developed was the idea of the nose itself as being a sort of trope without content, um, especially behind a piece of fabric where the rest of the face is obscured. What does it mean on its own? Um, and I think that we've seen a lot of wrestling with that in the responses to, to the work. I mean, Nathan, Jacob, I don't know if you guys want to speak to some of the things that we've seen thus far. Yeah, I think it's it's been really interesting to see what the response has been because I think we knew when we you know when we were all on staff very excited about the image and and thought it was um, would would work so well for a cover. I think we had a had a sense of it as as provocative in some way or or bold, both like aesthetically bold and sort of yeah that uh, that it would provoke a response in some ways. Um, but it's been interesting to see. I think I've at least been, in some ways, surprised by the by the veracity and, and in some ways, by the range of of some of the responses. I mean, one of the kinds of response we've seen has been a kind of. I mean, just to put it bluntly, has been sort of the accusation that the use of the image is anti-Semitic um, or is in some way, if not anti, if not accusing us of being anti-Semites, is in some way self-hating or a use. Uh, or a, a sort of naive Jewish use of of imagery that because it exists within a lexicon of anti-Semitism is to the benefit of anti-Semites or something. There was one one of the most kind of striking responses was a was a tweet that that redid the cover but replaced uh, the title of the magazine with Der Sturmer, suggesting that you know it would have that it's an image that would appear um, in a Nazi. In a Nazi magazine, so there's been this this response. Um, one of the of the promise of response has been this kind of sense of of being angry or upset um, by the idea of a Jewish magazine sort of doing anything to play with with the image or iconography of the nose, um, which I think in some ways is hard to. It's a little hard for me to say to what degree is this kind of a, a response to the to the use of the image in itself. To what degree is it people who already feel a certain way about the kind of thing we do um, projecting it. But it is interesting, um, I mean, to the latter point, I think interesting the ways it also ends up um, segueing or um, of being of a similar kind to the kind of accusations that tend to come up against against Jews with particular politics around Israel is this idea of sort of self-hatred or, um, or, or alignment um, with Nazis or anti-Semites. Yeah, I mean, one of the most interesting things to me about this image, I mean, I, there was going to be from the beginning a kind of Rorschach relationship of the viewer to an image in, in the way that all images, you know, reflect to some degree the viewer. I mean, that's far from an original <laughs> observation. But there's been there's this very interesting, intense relationship to this picture that I think it, I think the emotional uh, uh, heat of the of the reactions to it actually. Um, lifted lifted the image sort of out of uh, the sort of, uh, I think, calm and collected uh, uh, viewer that one might imagine in viewing this photograph, for instance, in a gallery. You know, there was a very different relationship to the thing as appearing under the word Jewish, you know, in Jewish currents and appearing within an explicitly Jewish context. And there was one fixation that I found to be like the most interesting thing, which is people were so upset about the pores on this mm -hmm. nose we're so upset about the pores and, and, and reflecting on the, how, like there were so many comments, mostly from 
self-identifying conservative commentators who dislike us, you know, for other for other reasons. But like, wow, this really needs a, a pore strip, or you know, can someone get this uh, get this nose a facial? Um, and there's just this real interest in the, in the in the nose being ugly, you know, which is ironic because, I, I mean, for a number of reasons, it's ironic. Also, first and foremost, because several of us have noses which resemble that nose, you know, and lots of the people who detracting us have noses that resemble that nose. They resemble it so much that the people who are, are not, in fact, demographically related to the, uh, in a direct way to the model, actually saw their own nose inside the nose. And I just think there, there was sort of like a, a Spider-Man meme thing of like being like, look at this ugly nose, how dare you, you know, while, while I wear one that's not dissimilar, you know, on my face. And, and just the second thing I want to say is the, the obsession with the pores, it reminded me of trypophobia, you know, which is the fear that some folks have of, I of have objects that. with holes. Okay. I'm curious if you felt that looking at it. No, I did not. <laughs> okay. Cause you know, okay. So trypophobia for anyone who doesn't know is some people have a fear and or revulsion to something that looks like a wasp's nest, you know, like an image, an object with a bunch of holes in it or a Lotus seed pod, which sort of looks like a bunch of eyes on an object. And I just thought there was something interesting and sort of phobic about, and about the, the pores of the nose as, as a fixative, thing for people's anxieties and, and even anger about the picture, which I think not to, to go completely, you know, Frankfurt school or psychological on, on the image, but what is the hole that they are afraid of? <laughs> you know, I, I think there really is a hole that is causing fear in many of the observers, uh, but it's not the holes in this nose. I just to add to that one one thing I was struck by in terms of the detail of some of the responses. I, I feel like I saw a number of people who are sort of upset about the, about the nose hairs that you that you can see. Um, and sort of in the same way, there were like, you know, poor strip comments. There is this, you need to, the, the model needs to uh, be shaving their, their nostrils comment, which was interesting to me in two ways. One of which is just, I think one of the things that actually attracted me to the image aesthetically um, most in what, when, when Ariel first, first brought the image to the staff was the way the interplay of the visible nose hairs and the texture, the kind of what appears to be this almost like furry texture of the cloth that overlays the face had this kind of interplay that really brings out in one way brings the feels like to me, it brings the, the hairs into contact with the kind of artifice that the cloth is providing and in the way that it, um, as Aria was talking about the way it, um, it uh, frames the nose and sort of removes it from the flesh context and makes it this symbol that the, the, it feels like the hairs are doing something in regard to that. And on the other hand, it feels like uh, the cloth really serves to highlight the hairs such that it feels really fleshy and uh, alive in this really sort of uh, in this way that feels like it really captures my attention and keeps me invested in the image. And so it was interesting to see the kind of flip side of that reaction in terms of this kind of like gross out reaction. Right. Just to focus on like the bodily revulsion or like. It also, it really made me think about um, early on after the election of Donald Trump, when there was this sort of like fanfare around the size of his hands or mm. like the following critiques of his body is calling, calling him fat, whatever else it is that to me completely undercuts whatever political argument we're trying to make. Like we're defending trans rights, but commenting on the size of his hands as if that has some sort of relationship to his success as a masculine figure or a leader. And I really felt that way when I was reading the comments about this nose, which I photographed in earnest because it belongs to like my most beautiful friend. And 
you know, I thought he looked great. I've actually never even noticed that the nose looks particularly dirty. Maybe that's an artist thing. And everyone I know is covered in schmutz. And I didn't has think about it either. No, I don't think whatever. so. And so it was fascinating to me to see this argument that's sort of like, you've gravely offended me and I'm going to body shame you right back or something. Like it didn't, it doesn't ring as sort of a well thought out, um, approach to me. <laughs> well, I will, I will also point out that like on one side, we're, we're talking about this, like, gross out reaction to a feeling of, of like poor representation, like people feeling like we were intentionally presenting a grotesque image to represent Jewishness when like, I don't think any of us, when we saw the image saw like a gross nose or something, but there is also the flip side of that representation. Like we have at least one person on our staff who, who like really felt like, Oh, like this is my nose. This represents me. Um, you know, and has taken pictures of, you know, the cover in in front of his nose and stuff like that. Um, and that's like, you know, another, that is another kind of way of relating to this image. Um, which is also interesting. Like I didn't necessarily, I mean, certainly my nose could be in the place of that other nose, but I didn't necessarily think like, this is me or not me. Like I really felt like there was a symbology or, or, you know, like, a set of ideas that were being evoked without embodiment. Um, so I found the, the other impulse interesting as well. And I, I will also note that there were, um, you know, that I saw, for example, black Jews online, basically saying like, this image doesn't represent us. Like this isn't, this is an idea of Jewishness or Jewish physiognomy, which doesn't take into account our physiognomy, which like really to me also reinforces this like Rorschach, um, thing that Jacob was talking about in the sense that like, if your experience is one of exclusion, then, then this image represents exclusion. If your experience is of feeling like an in-group, then your experience of this image is, is a reinforcement of that. If your experience is one of embattlement uh, around ideas of anti-Semitism, that that's your relationship to it. Um, and, but I think that what, what is, interesting about it is the assumption too, that, that all of that was intended by us, that, that, that everybody feels very certain that we were attempting to provoke them in exactly the way that they were provoked by this image. I I don't know. I mean, Rachel, you said something when we talked on the phone about it initially, when I checked in on you, when this whole thing started about the way that people approach photography in particular. And I was hoping you would share a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I think this idea of it being a Rorschach test is really true of most photographs, right? And something that I've talked about with this image in general and images that I make like this in general, which I'm often sort of including um, a part of a body, um, which is something that photography is inherently, right? It's like cropping. That's what photography is. And that cropping can be like exquisitely violent and it has been, and it can also be... um, the way to honor something or celebrate something, which is certainly not important to me to be true of all photographs, but it happens to be the way that I approach photographing the people in my images. All of my sitters are friends, family members, loved ones. Like I'm approaching the people I photograph with, um, yeah, a sense of honor and respect. But I think what's exciting about photographs is that they then just become like images out in the world. And from that experience, we can derive any number of conversations. And obviously in this case, the context matters a whole lot. So this idea that, um, some people look at this image and feel 
um, quite celebrated. Like there was one really beautiful tweet about like my high school self who was desperate for a nose job feels like so seen in this cover. And then obviously people who felt, as we discussed, grossed out or gravely offended. Um, and then there's also this question about ethnicity, right? And like what, what type of ethnic nose is being presented. And for me, like that's where we get to the question of the photograph that um, is the most exciting and the most compelling, which is that like, it doesn't actually matter who that's a picture of, right? Like that person happens to not be Jewish. They happen to be mixed race. They happen to have a beautiful nose. Like that's the situation. The picture was made. And then we put that picture out into the world and suddenly it becomes a picture about like whiteness, which it maybe literally isn't, but it also can function that way, right? Like if that's mm -hmm. how it's being read. And so the idea that I think we had talked about on the phone was this idea that like in other types of art, we are able to accept villainy or complexity or slipperiness or whatever one of those ideas we want to take as being a narrative trope. But let's think about like Lolita as an example, right? Where we can read that book. And I don't think we walk away thinking like, wow, this protagonist was like my guy, like good thing this book is out there to celebrate what this guy did, right? We read that book and we see it as an obvious critique um, that's not doing the work for us, which I think we appreciate as readers, right? Like it's allowing us to come to that critical position through the experience of the artwork, which is reading a novel. I think we can think of any number of movies that function that way. And somehow or another with images, and I think with photographs in particular, because they relate to the real, and you mentioned this, like whose nose is that becomes like an immediate question. Like how does, like which person was selected to be this nose and why? Um, we are unable to sort of like, I think often have that kind of narrative um, trust maybe where we're expecting to learn something through an artwork and instead want to know like what happened and where. It's something that comes up with my students a lot. And we were actually talking about this yesterday um, where I feel like young people have this like terror of the exploitative potentials of photography, which are very real. But it also like completely eclipses the potential of photography to be like revolutionary to our own means and an important tool in our own conversations. And it gives all the power to like the surveillance potentials and the exploitative potentials and doesn't um, embrace its potentials to also like forge our own conversations. Hmm. I think that is, I think that's so helpful and so interesting to me in the way that that you're seeing that is this particular feature of um, of photography, Rachel, and really resonates with how I feel like I saw a lot of the response of the kind of people, um, of many people, both both positively and negatively, feel like they were not treating the cover necessarily as as an artwork, which is interesting because it, I, I mean people don't have to necessarily know this encountering it um, in the wild, but all of our covers, uh, the covers of the magazine, feature works of art, um, and so. But I think you're you're you're, you're right that the, the way that um, because of the way it functions as a photograph and maybe in some ways because of the specific subject matter, a lot of people, like a lot of people online were sort of as assuming or asking, or I don't know how jestingly, if it was a, a photograph of a member of the staff, which, you know, in some ways, obviously plausibly it could be, but that would be a very different thing if we were taking a picture of ourselves to put on the cover versus, um, you know, putting this, this work of art. Um, I think it, what you had said, Rachel, about, about the kind of fear that you're sensing in your students. It feels really interesting to me too. Um, this is outside the context of, um, of photography and in the like literary medium. But one of the things 
um, some of the members of the staff have talked about a little bit. It's been interesting having this kind of happen at the same time. There's been a lot of a lot of kind of renewed discourse around Philip Roth because of the release of this major biography. And so there's been a lot of reviews and it's been an occasion to, to think about him as a figure. And so it's it's kind of put, put me in mind of, of the way um, in terms of the particular Jewish communal responses and the relationship of, of fear to, to hesitancy around certain aesthetic choices um, of the kind of this reminder of, of the history with, with him as a figure in which there is, in response to his early work, a kind of broad outcry from Jewish institutions, um, from American rabbis to like Gershom Sholem, the scholar of Kabbalah who is living in uh, in Israel, about the idea of his work as as anti-Semitic um, because of its portrayal um, of Jews. And it, so, there felt like, though they're very different contexts, there was this interesting linkage between that kind of response and even thinking about the way some people are upset about this image now in this kind of fear-based response within a community, um, meaning the Jewish community, that can kind of be an inhibition on certain forms of what we might see as transgressive art, or even not particularly in itself transgressive art, or we might be surprised about how transgressive, um, transgressive it seems um, in the way in which there's this fear of a kind of representation of an of a quote unquote anti-Semitic image, um, which even under the most credulous reading of the idea of just the image of a of a nose next to the word Jewish is anti-Semitic, it feels interesting to me that that continue is a persistent communal response in a moment of such kind of an American context of great Jewish security, especially for for white Jews, which obviously is even is very different even than the, the moment Roth was working in, which was much, much closer to a, to a, to a time of great peril for Jews. I think what's so interesting about, about this is that a lot of the attacks on Roth initially at that moment were like kind of conservative or establishment, um, attacks. And, and I don't think we've gotten like a ton of like left wing attacks, but I do think that there's been a very notable silence among like some of our kind of usual defenders or people who are the most, um, the most kind of with Jewish currents, uh, on politics who are involved in, in communal life. And I think it's sort of significant actually that like people who are more on the activist Jewish left were kind of quiet about this image and really stayed out of it. And I think it speaks to the, to what Rachel was talking about, about sort of like the inherent fear in the students that because there's no roadmap to exactly what this image is, because this image is art and not a document of a specific position, then it was hard for people to know whether they should or should not defend it. Like the, the, the terms of the debate were not clear enough to basically say, well, I'm for this or I'm against it. There was, there was not a lot of, I mean, what really kind of upset me about it is that I didn't see a lot of confidence on the part of the average viewer to say like, I have the tools that I need to interpret this as a work of art and to make a decision for myself about what it means. Um, and that was really disheartening. That's a really, I actually think that's a really excite like important point to bring up which is that so often so I have like you know like a lot of degrees in art from fancy places and I think all the time about how like what those degrees are was just like me investing money and basically getting like language and context to alienate people from my work to elevate its value so that I can participate in the art world I went and to I'm art school too so I totally so, relate <laughs> you know right and so um 
that's the opposite of what I'm interested in. And I'm, I always think about like, I, you know, I'm a community college professor. I think about, you know, when I think about my ideal audience member, I'm thinking about my students, right? Like I want like the work to be accessible to young people, old people, people from art school, people studying, whatever, it doesn't matter. And I often get this comment that's like, oh, well, like, I don't know what, I don't know what that's about if I show work to somebody. And I know it makes me laugh. And I think, well, I don't know what it's about. I'm not the audience. It, it's about whatever you look at it. You tell me, right? Like, it's for you. I just put it on the wall. You you can think about it. Literally, whatever you want to think about it, that's, that's art. That's what's happening. And I had all of these, like, completely other anxieties about the release of the nose. I mean, obviously, I did think that people would find it anti-Semitic in some context. That was you know, a foregone conclusion. But I was thinking much more about how I've spent the past year of my life hiding my nose. And that if I'm out in public without a mask on, I feel extremely self-conscious. I mean, it's probably happened once by mistake. And it's like, actually a terrifying moment. And that that image for me had had this other major context shift where it went from um, obscuring a face to revealing a nose, right? Mm. Like in 2016, I was hiding a face to show a nose. And in 2021, it looks like a nose that is like defiantly being revealed. So, um, you know, I think that like, this is what, this is what images do when they're at their best is they like shift and mean different things to different people in different contexts. And in that sense, like the outrage isn't exciting to me in that like, I wish people weren't whatever, like racist or body phobic or whatever issue they're having. But I do think like I make images to have conversations. So if that's what's happening in light of the image, then it's, you know, doing its job. <laughs> well, I, well, I want to, I want to, I think I, I just want to latch onto the tools idea, like the idea that what's missing is a set of tools to understand this image, because I think the problem is worse. <laughs> I think it's worse than that. And I actually think that the the crisis and and sort of like painful reaction that people have had to this image and have to lots of images isn't just that there isn't they haven't read Sontag or something and aren't like prepared with a a sort of like uh, a equipment of of ideas with which to relate to the uh, to the thing I, I think there's actually like a real deep it, this exposes, and this is the most, to me, the, one of the most interesting things about this image, but it exposes a deep and painful crisis of authenticity or sense of self-ownership that I think exists among many people and many people that were reacting to this online. Because for an individual to look at this and feel the ownership of their own retina <laughs> uh, necessary to view the thing, react to it, interpret it and then have some relationship to it the 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 breakdown i don't think occurs at the last part where you would be using rhetorical tools i think it's actually much closer scarily to your retina <laughs> like to, to the actual feeling that this thing is coming from outside of you and that is sort of like it it because of its uh, the sort of swirling cloud of connotations of anti-semitism or whatever or beauty in the case of the pores, particularly race, race. I mean, right. I mean, just this whole cloud of like this violent cloud of, 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 uh, of, of connotations makes it impossible for a person to, to, to literally look at the thing. And that's like, that's a very scary thing. And I think in a, in a Jewish context, we, we encounter that all the time, not just, and it's funny because it's not just with images, which I do think, as you pointed out, have 
if not a unique, then an especially powerful ability to provoke or expose this kind of like lack of confidence or or, or it, sort of spiritual emaciation that like uh, prevents someone from from wrestling with with an object. But it, it happens with all sorts of ideas that that we deal with. I mean, there's sort of like even on the even on the left, I think there is like a deep resistance to the vulnerability that that thought requires and and a, and a fear of a grappling with uh, with uh, uh, not just with the external forces which are dangerous to us, of which there are many. Whoever you are, there are things that are after you, whether it's your boss or you know uh, or racists or anti-Semites, etc. But I, I think there's like to to engage in in the process of actually trying to understand the world so that we may react and change it. That the same con like sort of emotional and intellectual constipation occurs at the very site of interaction, like at the very first step. There's already a panic attack occurring about. Uh, about like the most important topics and this nose was just I think such a to me also funny like little like firecracker like into this uh into this thing well again and I I just think that it like hinges on the on the idea just to put a really fine point on it that there is inherent content that that is there to be uncovered and if we just knew what it was we could respond to it so like just the idea on its own that this has a one specific meaning and that if we could extract it, we could know what to do with it, you know? Um, which I just, cause, cause of course a nose doesn't have, you know, when you say that this nose is anti-Semitic, what is the thing that is being pointed to? Like, what is the connection between the nose and some, and some kind of anti-Semitic content? Is it just the idea that Jews are like ugly like, is that, is that the content in and of itself? And, and if so, are you conceding that you believe that this is an ugly nose? Like what is, you know, it, it, once you actually dig into it, there's no inherent content except a nose on, you know, a nose behind, behind a, a velvet screen, if you will, you know? So anyway. I think there's also, I think it's really interesting. And I wonder if there's kind of thinking of that in combination with some of what, what Jacob was was talking about, that if there's a kind of um, almost displacement of the viewer in some ways, where it's interesting because it seems feels like part of part, part of the accusation of putting the nose on Der Sturmer, and I feel like this is something that comes up with like the the cartoonist Ellie Valley, who is someone who who publishes with us a lot and who gets um, these kind of accusations often. He's a Jewish cartoonist for his representations, his often. Uh, very self-consciously grotesque um, caricature uh, representations of, of mostly right-wing Jewish figures. Um, there's this idea that's like, even if I, the viewer, am not saying this is anti-Semitic, I think anti-Semites could use this or something, or it might, there's this kind of imagined, imagined viewership, um, which um, which is interesting because it both seems like in some ways a, a reasonable thing to think about um, as you're confronting an image to think about what are the what are the uses and misuses or what are the ways it can travel in the world and become a different thing and what are its what are its various possible meanings in the world all of that seems like valid and interesting to think about but it can also feels like um, it can function as a kind of displacement of of a part of what Jacob was talking about the act of like well what do I Think about this to say like, well, I'm actually only reacting to this in terms of like what I 
am going to surmise others might think about it or do with it. And I think there's a, a much softer version of that, which maybe is inevitable in some ways that I feel, I think is common to feel interpreting works of art, um, because it, which is a kind of displacement into a communal reaction in terms of like, what's the, what's the right way to fall on whether this is good or bad or appropriate or not appropriate. And I think one thing that's, that's often hard to navigate um, and maybe feels like a, a potentially or a particularly difficult to navigate thing in, in the contemporary context and on the left is how to negotiate between a responsibility to kind of make up your own mind or have your own reaction uh, in response to a thing and mediate that through what you kind of imagine a general reaction would be, um, which is, but I guess, which is also not to say that I guess, at least I think that we should, uh, think we should rely only on our own reactions because part of the work of what's interesting about communal conversations and criticism and criticism from perspectives that are not our own is is being able to complicate and enhance our own interpretive abilities with other possibilities but the model of that kind of ideal critical community that feels very different obviously than a kind of um total abdication of the responsibility to say, like, I'm going to wrestle with this and come out with something about what I think about it. I, I would also just say, like, I think it's okay to say, like, if people were looking at the image and saying, like, this makes me feel fear, or this makes me feel like bad in some way, or this makes me feel like it feels to me like this is actually like a harmful image in some kind of way, like, that's okay, too, right? It's like, we're not saying like, I don't think any of us in this conversation is basically saying like those feelings should not be a part of it. it. It's sort of like more about recognizing that feeling and trying to understand it and trying to understand why the, a certain image creates that feeling. That's like the process of engaging with art, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. We're not saying love the nose or else, you know I mean? That, that is not the only react we're saying, uh, be alive with us. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's what we're saying. Like, just be like, and exist in the, like, ha it's not even as simple as saying, like, have a conversation with, you know, it's not even, I don't, I think there are ways of communication that are not just like a round table or whatever about, about the nose, you know, but I think there's this just like fear, like so much fear that, that is, uh, that gets displaced on these things that I think in our current context for reasons that I don't feel like I totally understand seems for a lot of people expressible only in a kind of uh christian hegemonic uh denouncement you know of like con condemnation of the sinful act of uh whatever that is whether it's putting a nose on uh putting a nose on a magazine um or uh sounds like you're talking about cancel culture jacob <laughs> yeah well yeah you know I guess so, you know, a, a power blind to cancel culture anyway. As a person who makes stuff, though, I mean, like, that's an interest. That's an interesting thing, right? Which is that, and that's just kind of what I was talking about before with the assumption of, like, a positive intent within a photograph. Mm -hmm. But yeah. there's this space, I think, where artists are put in a position where we have to be sort of, like, moral experts in the production of our artworks. And I'm not saying that we're not responsible. Like, you can hurt people with art. That's real. I'm not saying that's not... Like there has been lots of irresponsibly made artworks, but I also think that like, I am an expert in photography. I am not an expert in, in geopolitics, in morals, in, you know, like any, any particular history, right? Like 
I am an artist. That is the thing. That is my expertise. And so my, what I put into that work is just about me as a person and I am a fallible being and I am wrong about a lot. And I use my work as a way to like learn about the world and engage in these very conversations that we're talking about. And I just love art for that same reason. Like Mm -hmm. that's why I like looking at art because it, it tells something about how people have felt about the world. Like to your point, Jacob, about like, just be alive. Like it's just, they're like, they are documents, but not of a particular person behind the curtain necessarily more so of like a way that we've felt or seen the world with all of our best intentions and all of our worst fallacies. Like that's all in the photograph. And so Yeah, like I wish that audiences were empowered to say, I disagree and here's why, instead of no photograph, no conversation. Like the point is to have the conversation. I I think we're like getting close to the end here, but I did want to talk about one more thing that happened around this, um, Rachel, because you did just bring up like the potential for harm in the photograph and also like the specificity of of the model, you know? And so we did have a conversation, like there were some... um, there were some concerns that came up even among the staff when, when we, you know, when the entirety of the staff found out that this was actually not a Jewish and, and not a white person's nose about whether, like about how the person, for example, felt about uh, being in a different context or being racialized in a different context about also about basically like whether that person should have been or should be like tagged in uh, to any, um, like social media, for example, like there was sort of a concern about like, if we have information from outside of the, outside the frame, if we start to sort of like bring in information that like, isn't intended by the, the author of the photograph, where does that leave us? And I just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about that. If you have anything you wanted to say about it. Yeah, I think, I mean, it it actually ties back into this idea of like how an audience is reading the image. And it's been so interesting to me that like, I, I mean, I'm also not on Twitter, but I haven't heard like a peep about the cover. Not one little whisper has found its way to me, which really means that the conversation is stopping at magazine cover and not penetrating into like artwork. It doesn't like my ego's fine. Like I don't, that doesn't bother me in any way, but Um, I do think there's like an interesting thing there, which then also leads to like this idea that like who this person is as a question is a hot topic, but the answer to the question is not worth uncovering. Mm -hmm. Um, my model, you know, I think it feels like it's a picture from, you know, half a decade ago that, you know, is of his nose and that's it. I think there's something sort of funny to him that, He's become this um, hot topic, but I also honestly just don't think he's overwhelmingly interested. I think it's kind of like not, I don't think he feels like his, like a piece of his body is on the cover of the magazine. And that's actually, you know, it's a different conversation, but I make a lot of self-portraiture and feel very similarly. Like I am a relatively self-conscious human being and I feel completely like any picture of me anywhere is kind of fine. Um, maybe I would feel differently about a snapshot than like something I made in the studio, but there's some sort of space in that, that, um, is a disconnect. So, um, it's, yeah, it hasn't, it's been more for me 
um, a fascinating exercise in like the journey of an image through other people's minds. So seeing people recreating the image to celebrate their own nose or recreating the cover to compare it to Nazi propaganda or um, things I don't even understand, which is why I'm not on Twitter. But I feel like a lot of the criticisms I've been like, I don't know what that means. Um, so yeah, it hasn't really been, um, it hasn't really come back to the individual, I think in a very resonant way, which is also interesting. I think he felt the same way about the billboard. I think he wasn't like, my nose is on a billboard. I think he was like, my friend Rachel has a billboard project. <laughs> mm -hmm. So. Well, I think, I think we've kind of done the thing. Have we done it? What do you guys think? Yeah. All right. Thank you, well, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. Yeah. And, um, and if you're listening to this, thanks for joining us on this uh, journey uh, into Jewish Currents audio. <laughs> Can't get enough Jewish Currents? Keep in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And visit jewishcurrents.org to subscribe and see our latest. A very special thanks to Nathan Salzberg for providing us with the music from his album Landwerk No. 2, and to Santiago Elu Cantero for producing this segment. Thanks for listening. That's all from us.